smiling faces, smiling back at me. It's enough to make a guy want to smile back, you know? That's a good thing. Praise the Lord for you. Praise the Lord for your being available, making it a priority uh, just to be here, to be an encouragement, to be a support, and to see what the Lord will do in each of our hearts. It's a tremendous opportunity he has afforded us, and it's good to see you taking full advantage of that. Appreciate the good music, how it speaks to our hearts, how it prepares us for the preaching time, and how it affords us opportunity uh, to worship our worthy Lord. Good to see each of you tonight. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and go with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 14. A lot of territory to cover tonight. Promise not to keep you too long at all, and we'll give you as much of this as is possible. I've entitled tonight's message, Elements of Effective Ministry. Elements of Effective Ministry. From the ministry of Barnabas and, and uh, Paul, I believe there are some things that we can learn, that we can apply to our service for the Lord, and that we can apply to our lives as Christians. Acts chapter number 14 Let's begin reading in verse number 19. The Bible says, this is Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. The Bible says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word to Perga, or in Perga, they went down into Italia, and then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been rec uh, recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And, they, and there they abode long time with the disciples. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, we thank you for this great example of incredibly effective ministry. We know, Lord, that it's just one of many that you give us in your word. I pray that as your servants, you'll enable us to glean from this passage, that you'll inform us, that you'll instruct us, that you'll give us the kind of heart that will receive this, and that you'll use us for your honor and glory and to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and minister to them in mercy and in grace. Thank you, Father, for the week and the time we've had this week. You have ministered to us. You have spoken to us. You have encouraged us. You've strengthened us. You've reinforced your work and your will and your word in our lives. We are grateful. We are thankful. Thank you for every precious individual here tonight. Everyone, under the sound of my voice, we give thanks for I ask that you meet with us and do those necessary things in our heart that really only you can achieve. We yield ourselves to you as best we know how. We open ourselves wide open to you without reservation. An implicit trust, we ask these things in Jesus', Jesus name. Amen. Elements of Effective Ministry. There are many things that we can learn from others in the service of the Lord, and it's always a blessing to be able to sit down 
uh, with others of God's people, other servants of the Lord, and pick their brains and learn about how to be a better parent, learn about how to be a more godly husband or wife or father or mother, whatever the case may be, learn better as to what it means to teach and instruct in the church's ministries, to learn more about what it means to serve the Lord and to do so effectively. The Lord also peppered through his word, especially the New Testament, tremendous models for us to take instruction from as well. The passage that we read in your hearing is one of them, and there are several characteristics that are highlighted here that I believe we would be, it would be beneficial for us to adopt and make a part of our own ministry repertoire. I hope to encourage you as a servant of God. I hope to exhort you and challenge you as a servant who desires to see the Lord Jesus glorified and honored with your personal ministry. Several things are transpiring in this passage the qualities that Paul and Barnabas exemplified here could be described as dedication, initiative, industry, thoroughness, and accountability. If you'll allow me tonight, I'd like to highlight as many of these as I can in the time we have allocated. The first one is dedication. Dedication. How do you see dedication in this passage, Brother McRae? You see it in verse 19 and verse number 20. You find Paul and Barnabas ministering in this particular city. And then there came some Jews from Antioch and Iconium following Barnabas and Paul in their ministry. And they came for the purpose of stirring up the people in this city against Paul and against Barnabas. As a result of it, Paul is taken and stoned uh, they believe they've stoned him to death. Uh, they drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. And as a result of it, uh, as the disciples of the Lord are standing around, uh, Paul rises up from that and uh, goes back into the city, stays overnight, and then leaves on the next day. Now, how many of you have a few problems with that, with that account? It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? True, yeah. No doubt about its truthfulness. But the, the courage of Paul and the courage of Barnabas is illustrated for us and their dedication to the calling that God had onto their lives cannot be missed nor easily dismissed. Beloved, this speaks to me. It calls me, it summons to me to become more of a dedicated servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you encounter suffering and persecution and opposition and difficulty in executing good in the things that Christ has impressed us to do, and we continue to press on trying to fulfill the will of Christ, it demonstrates to some, to, to some degree that we're indeed dedicated to what God called us to. Amen? I can recall times when I've seen incredible examples of dedication in Christians. I remember being a missionary pastor in Germany uh, at, uh, in Ansbach at the Berean Baptist Church. I had the privilege of serving that church uh, for 10 years. What a blessing that was for us there in uh, Ansbach, Germany. We had a family by the name of the Raphaels. There's about five, five, six of them at the time, as a matter of fact. The Raphael family, faithful family, loved the Lord. Whenever something was going on at the church, the Raphaels were there. We needed help or assistance with it. The Raphaels would throw in and participate and sacrifice and make it happen. You could always depend on the Raphael family. And then the Lord gave them orders to another location in Germany, about an hour and a half drive away by Autobahn. They searched in the area to find a church that was a good fit, preaching the word of God, but they could not work it out. So they end up literally coming back to our church, Berean, to attend on a regular basis. Sunday morning, pastor, when I would arrive to drive the bus to pick up children, they sometimes would already be in the parking lot waiting on me. They would be there through the afternoon, they would bring their lunch, and then they would be there in the evening service also. 
And if traffic would permit them, they would be there on Wednesday night also. It was challenging for them to be in church consistently, but they loved the Lord. They were dedicated to the service of God. They wanted to be involved in the church still, so they made themselves as faithful and available as they possibly could. I marveled at them on occasion. They would drive literally an hour and 20 minutes one way to get in church and be in church. To me, beloved, that demonstrated some measure of dedication. I remember being also in the Grace Independent Baptist Church in Lutzenhausen, Germany, in the um, early 90s, I believe it was, right, sweetheart? 90, 91, 92, 93. There was a young German girl in the church uh, named Bianca, about 14 years old. Bianca had gotten saved and baptized and was trying to live for God. Had no encouragement or support from her family, but she loved the Lord and she loved the church. I discovered through a series of events that Bianca had a habit of walking to church. Well, I had surmised in my own thinking that perhaps she lives just down the road, you know, somewhere in the village close by or the next village over, and therefore she was walking to church. One Wednesday night, Bianca could not work it out. Her ride did not help her that particular night. They had some other engagement. So she asked us to take her home. And in the process of time, we found ourselves driving Bianca to her house. And I thought it would be just around the corner and over the way, and there we would be at Bianca's place. Well, that was not the case. As we drove and drove and drove and made a left and maybe a right, and maybe another left and a right, roughly about three miles, we, after about three miles travel, we arrived at Bianca's place. And before people would give Bianca regular rides, she would literally walk to church services Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. Bianca loved the Lord. Bianca was devoted to the things of God. Until the church caught up and got a clue that she was walking to church, Bianca was willing to make the walk. A 14-year-old kid. What does it take to stop you in your devotion to the Lord? Sometimes you'll not know the definition to that answer, the answer to that question, until you're challenged. How do we know Paul and Barnabas were devoted and dedicated servants of God to the calling of God upon their lives? Because they, when they were faced with opposition and when they had opportunity or excuse, a legitimate excuse to quit, legitimate excuse to quit, they refused to quit and continued on devoted in the service of the Lord. We saw that Paul and Barnabas were willing to be misunderstood, though they were not trying to be misunderstood. We see that they were willing to be opposed. We understand that they were willing to suffer for righteousness sake because they knew that what they were doing would be the execution of the will and plan of God. We understand, beloved, that they were devoted because they continued to work undistracted, even though they had good reason to quit. They refused to quit. They refused to give up. They refused to cave in under the pressure. They continued on in devotion to Jesus Christ. Beloved, I understand this to be nothing short of sure dedication. Paul's appeal to the Romans was simply this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God calls, God summons, God commands all of us to devote ourselves to him in the work and service of God. Somebody asked the question, well, Brother McCray, what do you do when you're faced with this kind of opposition, this kind of persecution? You settle in your mind that you're not done until God is done with you. Amen? That's what Paul had settled. Would you agree with that, Pastor? It's not an overstatement, beloved. He was, he was confident, Barnabas was confident, that he was not done until God was done with him. So what do you do, Brother McCray? You get yourself a fist full of the promises of God and you press on in the work knowing that you're not done until God's done with you. 
Jesus said on occasion, Beloved, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you, says the Lord Jesus. I hear on another occasion where he says, where Peter says this, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Amen? I hear Paul on another occasion saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I take counsel then, from the example of Paul and Barnabas, that in my ministry there must be some element of, of dedication. And when Christ has made his will clear, it's up to me to execute it, no matter how much difficulty, no, much what, no matter what it requires, I must follow through knowing that I'm not done until God's done with me. That challenges me, but it encourages me. And I'm thankful for these marvelous examples of dedication. I see another quality in this ministry of Barnabas and Paul on this first missionary journey. You find it in verse number 21. Would you look at it with me, please? And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium in Antioch. My goodness. Well, there they are, preaching the gospel in Derby. And after preaching the gospel in Derby, they returned to, watch it, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, where they had all that trouble. They go back again. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> There's dedication there, there, beloved. They did not believe the work was done yet. There was more to be done. But what I see most of all here that's glaring to me at least is this concept of initiative, which is the capability of assessing what is required and then independently pursuing it. That is, without a special prompting or a postcard from heaven, they got about the work. Amen? They took initiative, beloved. Now, I, I don't know what you read into it or how you read it, but it says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned to Lystra and Iconium. Right? That's what it says. Boy, my imagination goes wild about their preacher. It sure does. My goodness. My mind just goes wild about right here. Just excited as to what that might have looked like in the outworking of it. Can't you see them coming into Derby to preach the gospel? Can't you see them doing that? I can just about see him, Paul and Barnabas kind of making their way in the town and kind of surveying things and looking at people milling about and finding people going on along their way and finding a public place where folk are just kind of flowing by. And then Paul would take up his place, perhaps somewhere about here, where there's a good, handsome flow of people going by, and he would begin to just preach to them as they came by. Can't you see him doing that? Now, I don't know what his messages were. I have no idea what Paul said to these people, except what's actually recorded in the Word of God. It doesn't actually tell us here. We just know some of what Paul wrote in other places. And I could just imagine, I, did you hear me say that? Imagine. I'm using my sanctified imagination here. I could just see Paul doing something like this. We beseech you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Would you come to Christ? God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Do you understand that God imputed your sin to Christ? And if you trust Christ as Savior, if you believe on him, you'll be forgiven of your sin. You'll be received as a child of God. Do you understand? Would you come to Christ? Would you be reconciled to God? I can just see Paul preaching something like that. And then I could also see old Barnabas going a little bit further down the road, on into town perhaps, finding him another place, he would listen to see, well, Paul's, I could still hear him. So he'd go a little bit deeper into town. I could still hear him. He'd go a little bit deeper into town. I could still hear him. Ah, right here's a good spot. Can't hear Paul preaching anymore. So he would take his spot up about right here. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I imagine uh, Barnabas to be a big guy, tall, handsome, big, burly guy, you know, beard, dark hair, big, thick eyebrows. You know, Barnabas, very Jewish. (laughs) Barnabas, you know, Barnabas, the son of consolation. Barnabas could give you a bear hug and encourage the fire out of you. I mean, good. Barnabas, the son of consolation, the great encourager, the sacrificial giver, the guy that sells the farm and give all the, the stuff to the church. <laughs> Barnabas, you follow? Barnabas, the great encourager. That's what he was. And I could just imagine old Barnabas preaching a message. I can just see him doing that out in that crowd. I can just see Barnabas doing something like this. This is, again, I don't have these words in Scripture. This is my sanctified imagination, all right? The Bible just says they preach, right? I assume it was the gospel, right? That's probably, that's probably safe. <laughs> and I can just see old Barnabas doing something like this. I too know what it means to be lost. Though I was Jewish and though we had God's law, I thought I could keep God's law. And through achieving that compliance with the law, I would be saved by that. But then I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I discovered that I too, though a Jew, was a sinner and lost and separated from God. But oh, I heard of the grace of Jesus Christ and how he would forgive, how that forgiveness would be supplied to sinners if we repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I too believed on the Lord Jesus and I too have been forgiven. And as God has forgiven me of my sin and received me, he will forgive you. Would you also come to Christ? Come to Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't you see Barnabas weeping and crying out before that crowd, calling them under Jesus Christ? Can't you see him preaching? And then old Paul down here on the other side, Paul being a very educated, highly intelligent guy, spoke multiplied languages, very intelligent. Paul would reason from the Scriptures, and Paul would proclaim Jesus Christ and call them unto the Lord Jesus Christ and and beseech them in Christ's stead to be reconciled to God. Amen. Oh, Barnabas would weep and call and preach. You say, Brother McRae, why did they do that when they came into Derby? Because Jesus had already said, go. (laughs) Amen? They were in execution stage, beloved, for you project managers. Yeah, this was execution stage. Jesus had already given them the plan. Jesus had already said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Jesus had already spoken, so they didn't need a special dispatch from heaven, an angelic emissary to come along and say, hey, you probably should go to get preaching, brother. No, none of that. They took initiative. Amen? Oh, beloved, I see this as a quality that is worthy of you and I developing and emulating and trusting the Spirit of God to give birth to and to nurture in our own hearts and minds so that we would be responsive, resourceful, and enterprising, demonstrating initiative in the things of Jesus Christ. No, beloved, there is no room for slothfulness. There is no room for sluggishness in the execution of the service of Jesus Christ. Amen. Preaching and teaching the gospel in city to city. I could just see those men beginning to preach out there. And then some would stay behind and linger and ask questions. They would take them aside and declare the gospel more particularly to them. And some of them were saved. Amen. Your Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Amen. They engage, beloved, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, taking personal initiative. Can I ask you a question with regard to your personal ministry? Wherever that service may be, whether it be in your home, whether it be here at the church, whether it be ministry efforts that you engage in in your professional life, I, I, I don't know. But could you use some initiative in that? To take God at his word and then begin to act on, thus saith the Lord, in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen? Let, let me say something like this. You don't have to have a, a PhD in philosophy nor theology to share your faith. Doesn't take all that, folks. Before I knew what the Romans road was, I was witnessing. Not braggadocious. I'm not, I don't mean in a braggadocious way. I, I'm telling you my story. I just knew I needed to tell people how to be saved. You see, you know what I had, preacher? Chick tracks. That's what I had. And I would literally pass them out and just give them to people. And if they let me talk to them, I didn't know how to use my Bible yet, preacher, to show them how to get saved. So you know what I did? I opened up the track. I'd flip to the verses parts, and I'd read them the verses. You understand that? Uh-huh. Well, here's another verse, and I'd read that to them. You understand that? They go, uh-huh, no. <laughs> Whatever it was, and I just kept reading. I found better tracks, and I just kept reading tracks. After a while, I had it memorized. I didn't need to track anymore. So I'd just talk to them based on the verses I'd memorized. It was the lamest presentation on this side of glory. But I guarantee you, beloved, without exaggeration, soul after soul after soul after soul got saved. People trusted Jesus Christ. It wasn't hard. It doesn't take a brainiac. I mean, look who's preaching at you. I mean, really. It, it doesn't take all that. You say, well, Brother McClay, I get so nervous. I, I, I feel so insecure. I feel just, I, it's just not a good fit for me. I mean, that confrontational evangelism, it's just. Not me, I understand all that. You mistake me for being an extrovert. I understand what it means to be an introvert. Ask my wife. I, am I lying? Oh, she's the extrovert. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> I'm the introvert. I, I do what I do because God enables me. Amen? It's, an, it's the enablement of God, beloved. And when it comes to sharing our faith and telling people what God did for us when he saved us, telling our conversion story, it's, it's the enablement of God that helps us overcome our fears and our apprehensions. Amen? Get your sights on somebody, somebody. Start with one person, if you don't have one yet, and begin to ask God to enable you to be a witness to that one person. Give them a gospel track. Serve them where you can encourage them to share a cup of uh, coffee with them every now and then for the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You can do that. Take the initiative. Amen? My wife and I, we would take book bags full of tracts. This was before we were in ministry. This was when we were stationed in Germany, active duty. We would take book bags full of tracts and go from house to house to house to German homes. Couldn't speak a word of German except this Dutch. This Dutch. That was it. And then we could then we learned another phrase. The phrase was, Bitte lesen Sie. Would you please read? <laughs> and in Germany, it was totally legal to put tracks in the mailbox. No postal violations. So we filled them up. <laughs> One house after another, <laughs> one village after another. Finish with one village, go to the next one. 
just take the initiative. Amen? In this passage, I see these men undertaking the efforts to share Jesus Christ. They were convinced that he is indeed the answer for man's sin problem. Man's greatest problem is indeed sin. God's solution is the Savior, Jesus Christ, and they were doing everything within their ability to get Christ to the lost. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I am debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarian, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen? Oh, God, give us a heart for souls that will take initiative. Paul and Barnabas here to do. They, they, they exemplified dedication. They exemplified initiative. These are worthy of us emulating. The third thing is we see labor or industry. There was intense and heavy service to the disciples and the new churches. In verse number 21, listen to it again. It says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, that city being Derby, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. Okay, three different cities. What do they do in those three different cities? Well, it tells us in verse 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Did you see the verbs, the strong verbs in that passage? Look at verse number 22. What's the first verb you see there? first word is what? Confirming. That's right. That's right. That's right. Very good. Very good. We find that Paul and Barnabas were about the work of strengthening and confirming and building up these new churches that had been established on their first trip. This is work. This is hard work. It's nothing short of back-breaking work. Brother McCray, the ministry can't be that hard. I mean, it can't be that tough. Can I volunteer them for one thing, Pastor? Can I, can I volunteer them to follow you for a week? <laughs> It'll take care of all doubts. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> this is labor, beloved. And the verbs in this passage convey it for us and help us understand it. It is a tremendous thing that these men, they were not given to laziness and lackadaisical and laissez-faire approaches to the work of God. No, beloved, they were given to the work. They were not given to convenience. They were given to the work. They were industrious in the execution of the ministry Christ had committed to them. Yes, they were. Yes. They were disciplining these believers. Or we usually say it this way, discipling these believers. They were educating them, training them. They were developing leadership for the churches. And this is arduous work, arduous work. I've witnessed missionaries on the field, Pastor. They get to the field, they're in their families, they're trying to learn the language. First two years or so, that's where they're really grappling with the language, trying to learn it, trying to get it down. I've seen them literally weep and beg God to give them the gift of tongues. I've seen it. God never gave it. They had to learn the language. <laughs> you understand? But they so desperately wanted to reach the people that God had called them to. And they would weep and they would cry. And they would ask God for greater mental capacity. They would go to language classes and language schools come back to the car and look at each other in the front seat and literally just start weeping, wondering how they were going to master this language enough to reach the people. But because of a love, 
But because of a prescription, they persevered. They continued. And before long, they could teach little short five-minute lessons in the language. After a while, little 20-minute lessons in the language. After a while, you couldn't, get, you couldn't shut them up. <laughs> Preaching away the Word of God in another language. Amen? It was arduous work. And when they started pastor, they have a few little converts. They just disciple them. They just confirm them, sister. That's what they do. It means to set them in the faith, to settle them in the faith, to establish them in the faith, to strengthen them in the faith, confirming those young believers. Amen? That's what the young believers need. Somebody who will come alongside and just love them, encourage them, and answer their questions. Amen. Remember when you got saved? Remember when you came into all of this? You had it all down pat, right? How many of you had it down the first week? I mean, you got saved one day, and you were a Bible theologian. You knew it all. You knew how to serve God in all the ways. The next week, you were absolutely on fire for God. How many of you that way? Hmm, I wasn't either, so my hand's not up. No, it was a whole new world. I mean, we look at the book of Job and we call it Job. We did. Amen? And if somebody said, turn to the book of hesitations, there we were in the pew trying to find it. And at the end of the service, we were still trying to find hesitations. We never found it. We didn't know any better. All of this was new. We had questions. And we needed someone to love us enough to look beyond all of our faults and failures and bumbling and encourage us and help us see the fundamental reality of the Christian faith. We needed somebody to disciple us. Amen? There are new converts that still need that today, beloved. They still need that. You say, well, that's pastor's job. Whoa, 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 time out. Time out. If I understand my Bible right, in Ephesians chapter number 4, the pastor's going to prepare you so that you can do the work of the ministry. Did I read it wrong, preacher? That's what the Bible says. You read Ephesians 4 for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Don't on over there. Flip on over there. Look at it. It tells you that God gave gifted leaders to the church for the purpose of the perfecting of the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. Boy, that's crystal clear. I'm glad we got that straightened out. Isn't that good? Boy, God makes it so clear. No pastors equip you and prepare you to do the work of the ministry. Amen. Somebody asked me, say, Brother Cray, what kind of evangelist are you? I said, I'm an Ephesians chapter 4 evangelist. They said, what's that? I said, I work just like a pastor, only I'm not a pastor. I do the same thing a pastor does. They said, well, how do you justify that, Brother McCray? I don't know. Ask Ephesians chapter 4. It says that's what I'm to do. Am I right? Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I'm in the group. <laughs> Why did God give them to the church? For the perfecting of the saints. <laughs> For the work of the ministry. <laughs> that's what your Bible says. Oh, there are other aspects to my ministry in particular, but yeah. Fundamentally, biblically, that's one of them. Yeah, beloved. God wants to unleash you as one of his servants. God wants to use you. What an honor for you and me. That God would want to work in our lives to give us the thrill of being laborers together with him. Oh, what a joy that is. Never one regret for doing that. They were confirming these young believers that's what they were doing, beloved. There was something else they were doing here. They were exhorting these believers also. To exhort means to entreat, to instruct, and to admonish. All three could be present in one exhortation, or just one of those elements could be present in an exhortation. But Paul and Barnabas exhorted these believers, entreating them, instructing them, and admonishing them. May I illustrate that one with my family? Mm, this is dangerous, right? 
the little wife will say, Crystal, our daughter, Crystal, let's, let's bake a cake. Let's bake a yellow cake with chocolate icing. And Crystal might say something like this, oh, Mom. And Mom will say, no, come on, buddy, let's do it. She says, okay, okay. So there they go off to the kitchen. The kitchen is a long walk from the living room. So you get up from the couch in the living room, right here, and the kitchen is right here. <laughs> in the RV. <laughs> so there they are, making a cake. And so the little wife will start with that entreaty, let's make a cake. She's inviting Crystal into a learning experience with her. And then she'll give her just a little bit of instruction. She'll do left seat, right seat, and then right seat, left seat. You understand? She would show Crystal things. Then she says, now you do it. And she'll shift it over to her, and then Crystal will do it. You should see Mama watching that egg get cracked. No shells went in. Yay. Every now and then she would say something like this. Watch the shells now. She would admire. Mm -hmm. She would entreat. She would instruct. And she would admire. While stirring it, she would say, now, don't whip it too hard because it won't rise if you whip it too hard. Now, I'm not sure if I got all that down right, so those of you not to bake a cake, uh, don't hold it against me. But she would say something like that. Don't whip it too hard because it won't rise. She'd admonish Crystal, and she'd give instruction. We're going over to Crystal's place on Friday. You know what Crystal promised us? She promised us, a chocolate cake, a yellow cake with chocolate icing. She'll do it all by herself. It'll be ready when we get there. Yay! Watch it. When we exhort believers, we invite them into a godly experience with ourselves. We entreat them. We appeal to them. We invite them into a God-word experience with ourselves. Then we grant them instruction, just clear, crystal, step-by-step. Step. Here's what you do first. Here's what you do next. And then you do this. And as we give instruction, we admonish. We say, watch this now. Okay, be careful with that. All right, now do it this way. Yeah, do it this way. Yeah, very good, very good. And we work them through it. It's a training experience. So at the end of the day, the person has a skill. Amen? All of us as believers should have some skill with the word of God and how to extract truth from the word of God and understand it. There ought to be some of us who are able to invite others into that kind of experience to say, here's how I learn the scriptures. Here's how I interpret and handle the scriptures. Here's how I understand exactly what God says and exactly what God means, and I understand how it applies. Somebody ought to be able to do that. We invite them into that kind of experience with us. We give them instruction on how they're to do it also. And then we admonish them. Watch those metaphors. Watch those similes. Be mindful of those figures of speech. You understand? I guarantee you can do that. We invite them into an experience. We invite them into, watch it, Let's, 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 go, let's go win somebody to Jesus tonight. At least give it a good attempt, right? We invite them in. We entreat them. We exhort them. And then we show them how. I'll take the first door. Watch what I do. Then I'll take the second door. Watch what I do. The third door is yours. And we instruct them. And we admonish them. Now, don't be too harsh. Don't be too cruel. Remember the convicting work. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not yours. Just present the scripture. Amen? You're all awfully quiet on me. Was it something I said? <laughs> Exhortation. Amen. Amen? Confirming the brethren, exhorting the brethren. Other things they did here, I'll not take the time to cover now because my time is gone. They were ordaining elders in each of those churches. That was establishing leadership. 
And then they were commending them to the Lord. Amen. All of this involves heavy and intense labor. But the work is worthwhile. Paul and Barnabas' ministry was marked by such labor. The next thing I see is in verse 24 and 25, and I'll give this to you quickly. I see thoroughness. You saw it in verse number 22 also. Verse 21, I should say also, where they came back to these cities and serviced them again. You look at verse number 24, you find that after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia. Excuse me, Italia. Hmm. Let me read that again. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia. Hmm. Well, what happened in Perga? What were the results? What happened? We have no result of what happened in Perga. We have no sense of, no full sense at least, we have no confidence at least that the work they did there was effective. It seems as they labored and ministered and preached the word in Perga, it seems, it appears, it fell on deaf ears. Do you see that? Do you see it differently, anybody? That's how I see it at least. Do you see it differently, preacher? Was the gospel diluted? Did they suddenly become sinful? Is the gospel no longer the power of God unto salvation? What happened here? Can I give you my Wayne McCray explanation? They weren't ready. The seed didn't fall on good ground. They weren't receptive. That happens, amen? Not everybody is equally ready. Not everybody is equally receptive. Not every country is equally ready. Not every country is equally receptive. You send a, you send a, you send a missionary to Mexico, and guess what happens in Mexico? They come back on their first furlough, and they've got, what, five, six churches started already. Send them to Europe and try that. They're lucky after 15 years if they got two or three churches established. Not all fields are created equal. Amen? There's nothing wrong with the gospel. There's nothing wrong with the servants. They continue to do what God would have them do. There was no response. Watch this. So they moved on to the next opportunity. There's a lesson in that for us. I can't count. I can't work on it long. The last thing I'll give you is this. That is accountability. They returned to their sending church and they gave a report in verse 26 through 27 and 28. Do you see them returning to Antioch? The church gathering together, the whole church gathering together. And the Bible says they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. These men saw themselves as accountable to their local New Testament church, the church that sent them out. They had a sense of responsibility to their church. That's healthy, beloved. You say, well, Brother McCray, after you get up so mature in the Lord, you don't need that anymore. Wait a minute. This is Barnabas and Saul. Incredibly accomplished servants of God before they went to the field. How much more so now after going to the foreign field? But they still recognize the value of accountability. Amen. Let me give you one more thing from this. We should encourage Christians to make great decisions for God, but also hold them accountable to follow through. Amen. Well, Brother McCray, I don't answer to anybody. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. In the Christian world, that's the problem. None of us, 
none of us are so spiritual that we don't need to be held accountable. None of us. Amen? Oh, we need to value this. We need to embrace this quality. Amen? I remember a pastor who used to hold me accountable. He's moved away now. But we would have, uh, we would have coffee talks together at the bread house in town near Fort Belvoir. He and I would get together on a Saturday morning when we both were in town, and, uh, and we'd just fellowship. We'd hold each other accountable to some degree. I miss him now. He's moved away. But that was, that was a blessing to me to have that. Do you understand that? God intended it to be that way between brothers. God doesn't want us freewheeling and doing our own thing. We need to be held accountable. Yes, even the most mature of us should benefit from a handsome dose of accountability. I'm going to say amen to that myself. Amen, Brother McKay. You just keep on preaching, brother. Listen, I see in Paul and Barnabas Tremendous servants of God. Would you say they're good examples to us? Would you agree? Yes. I see dedication. I see initiative. I see labor or industry. I see thoroughness. I see accountability. Well, there are other things that could be highlighted here, but these jumped out to me. How is God speaking to your heart? is he talking to you? What's he saying to you about your personal ministry? Whether it be at home, whether it be here at the church, whether it be in your community, whether it be through your occupation, what, what, what's God saying to you? Which one of these qualities? Which two of these qualities? Which of these qualities does God want to weld to your ministry to make it more effective? Is it dedication? Is it initiative? Is it labor industriousness? Is it thoroughness? Is it accountability? Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time in your word. Would you please, would you please, apply this to each of our hearts that we might be even more so effective, a serv effective servants of thee. We ask this in Jesus' name. Pastor.